Hello and welcome to this uh, China Where to from here uh, podcast discussion sponsored by PSG Wealth. For decades, China has been the driving force uh, behind global economic growth. However, concerns have emerged regarding the sustainability of its rapid economic expansion. In this uh, discussion, we review China's current risks, the impact thereof on investments, and provide um, insights on where the second largest economy in the world could go from here. My name is Mudio Gavaza, economist and business writer with the Business Day and Financial Mail, and I'll be your host for what is going to turn out to be a very fascinating, informative, and downright um, educational conversation and to help us when it comes to their education and how they're thinking around uh, investments in China and where they are uh, is Adrian Pask who is the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Wealth. Adrian, as always, uh, nice to talk to you. Good morning today. Hi, good morning. It's good to be on the call. As always, um, Adrian, you and I, we've had many, many different uh, conversation from different aspects. We've spoken quite a bit about the U.S. We've spoken about the BRICS block. Um, we've spoken about uh, mentalities around investments, um, you know, so many things out there. And uh, I think our last conversation was around uh, the U.S. economy and, you know, how it is that they continue to do what they, you know, to be so great, especially in uh, in an environment where there's interest rates and all that. But maybe you could give us a little bit of uh, context around China's investment case and why it's still such a key player in the world. And I guess, you know, uh, where you guys see them, we always contextualize them as the second largest economy. Uh, but, you know, I'm pretty sure that in certain aspects, you know, they might actually be uh, the leader in uh, in many aspects out there. Yeah, thanks, Madhya. I think if you go back initially, more or less um, at the same time that the 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 BRICS term was was really coined, obviously the countries that had fairly substantial population sizes and growing middle classes were identified as potentially attractive long term investments or investment destinations. And in China's case, we've actually seen elevated levels of economic growth for a protracted period of time. If you look at where the growth is currently, it's constituting roughly 20% of global GDP. So it's it's a big player. If you look at what's provisioned for in terms of growth this year, what has been penciled in is more or less a third of the growth for this year um, was penciled in to come through from China. So it's really been the 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 accelerant behind global economic growth. We we know that many of the developed markets around the world as mature economies aren't really growing at elevated levels. Um, typically, U.S. economic growth is around two percent, and the same could be said for many of the other developed markets. So China has been a, a huge boost to um, to global GDP, and obviously, there's many beneficiaries through that process. Obviously, China it's, itself um, more directly. But also think of, from a South African context, commodity companies have been beneficiaries because a lot of what's required in China has been infrastructure spend. And to get that done, you need raw materials, a lot of that coming from, from Africa and other materials exporters. So, so those countries would have benefited from thoughts on their current account and, and GDP growth in, in those emerging markets. 
but even businesses um, in the US would have benefited. So you can imagine on a business like Apple, for example, the amount of iPhone users in China and the huge growth that we've seen in the middle class there um, really becoming a strategically important market for them. So, so that's really been been the, the the biggest story. It's been a lot of spending from consumers and a middle class that's really growing quite rapidly. It is a very interesting case to look at, and like you said, when you see a third of growth economically being penciled in and uh, a lot of it being said it's going to come from china that's nothing to uh, that's nothing to sneeze at that's actually a huge driver and like you said um the growth of china I think interestingly enough has actually benefited a number of economies around the world, including the US. So their growth hasn't been in isolation. Um, so at least there's been those, uh, you know, to use the term trickle down, um, effects that have come from that uh, Chinese economic growth miracle from that point of view. But, you know, when we're looking at growth numbers, let's say for this year, we're looking at it quite, uh, on a short term type of horizon, Adrian. And one of the things that you emphasized is um, throughout our discussions is um, you know short term versus long term thinking and right now very curious to get your sense around the long term piece of the equation when it comes to China because there are some current risks that uh, actually undermine China's investment case it's not all rosy uh, they are a big driver but there are some things some elephants in the room that are hanging over them what are some of these elephants from what you can see and uh, you know, what are the, I guess, potential impacts thereof that you can see over a sustained period of time? Well, I think the key ones would be um, debt and demographics and data. So from a debt perspective, um, we've spoken about this before. We know that overall global debt levels are quite high coming out of COVID. Um, there was a lot of support through government spending required to keep the economies propped up and, and afloat. So, so generally, um, debt to GDP numbers, especially government debt to GDP, is quite elevated for for many countries around the globe at the moment. But the real problem in China really sits more in the in the private sector. So, what we've seen with the um, urbanization is that there is quite a bit of property development. It's it's a significant sector in China. So it constitutes a rough, a roughly twenty five percent of GDP. And in that space, what's happened with the urbanization, people need properties, um, they pay for these properties, but if the property companies themselves aren't properly managed, um, they over leverage and run into problems where they cannot continue with the construction. And that's what we've seen more recently where some of these construction businesses or development businesses are, are, are threatening um, default on, on their debt. And I think that's a, that's a big risk for them eventually those those debts need to be paid and whether they can find the liquidity to continue with the construction in order to avoid a disaster is still largely unknown at this point the second big one is demographics because as i mentioned in the in the first question is a lot of the long-term investment case was premised around population growth and with that uh, growing middle class gdp per capita growth that's growing quickly consumers doing really well, spending a lot of money into the global economy. But what we've seen now come through from the data from uh, end of last year 
is that China has now experienced its first uh, population uh, decline. So what we're seeing is that the mortality rates are now exceeding um, the birth rates. So when that starts to happen, you can anticipate that there will be a decline in population. And with that, productivity starts to suffer. There's less consumer spending, et cetera. So on a, on a long-term view, that's the other threatening one. But for, for us as investors, you know, you can hear there's quite a lot of uncertainty around the China investment case, both short-term in terms of the debt and longer-term in terms of the demographics. And what we generally like to do is to, to go in deeper, do more research, get a better understanding of what's happening. And what's really difficult with China at the moment is that there's just more and more data that's that's not available. You know, we've seen for many, many years, for example, on the accounting standards, many issues there. If you've got smart analysts in the team, they can work around that. They can they can read through the the, the tricks and look at that important data. But if you come into a problem where you look at demographics and you look at productivity, but these very elementary pieces of data that isn't being shared anymore, like the youth unemployment problem in China at the moment. Since that number has turned negative, they've stopped um, producing that number or broadcasting that number further out into, into the market. And those things make it very difficult because now you've got uncertainty and lesser means to get comfort. Uh, and I don't think that bodes well for, for investment prospects. So it's a, it's a it's a broad list of of complicated issues that affect things short term and long term, both practically in the economy, but also just in terms of more qualitative things in how analysts can come to grips with the China investment case. Now, thanks for that, Adrian. And it really does sound like there's a lot, um, you know, to to to, to unpack. You've uh, tried to be as succinct as possible, so we really appreciate that. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that uh, we could delve a level deeper. And I want us to do that at this point because you did mention a number of risks such as, uh, such as debt and demographics. And you did mention, um, you know, some of the ways in which, uh, it could, uh, for example, you mentioned the population factor just now, you know, how that, um, could actually feed into the investment case for the country because you, you're seeing some of those slowdowns on the population. And uh, I guess the skew of uh, the makeup of uh, the Chinese population, you know, comes into play. But when it comes to the impact of some of these risks, um, how far do you see things going? Like um, when it comes to the impact, how 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 do you see that, um, you know, I guess playing out? What are some of the potential ways in which we see that playing out? You had already alluded to some of this, but maybe we can drill down a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Um, if we if we start maybe with the, with the debt, um, especially in the corporate space, like I mentioned, the the property developers constitute around twenty five percent of Chinese GDP, which makes it an absolutely massive sector. Um, and if they don't have the funding that they need to complete their projects, where is that funding going to come from? And if it if, even if it does come, which which would be perceived as fairly positive news for 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 China. Will that solve the problem in a sustainable way or will it be displacement of the risk? So say, for example, the government steps in and provides the required funding, then their debt problem becomes even more exacerbated. So so that's a problem. If if the local banks are forced to step in where they need to provide funding for the guys to continue their operations, then obviously you displace that leverage into the banking system. 
which is an even bigger concern. We should also keep in mind that if you look at Chinese investment habits, uh, Chinese people typically keep a lot of their personal wealth tied up into their properties. It constitutes roughly 70% of their personal wealth. So the last thing that you can afford as a country with 1.4 billion people is to compromise the, the wealth of those people by having a shock on 70% of their wealth. Um, so it really is really important to make sure that uh, that market remains, um, if not buoyant, at least uh, stable or fairly stable and doesn't deflate too quickly. I mean, it, can't, it can translate into many other problems. We already see what's happening in China as we've got boycotts of mortgage payments, for example, where purchases of properties are just refusing to, to continue to pay their mortgages because the construction on that property has been halted. So that then further exacerbates the the liquidity issue there. So so that's a that's a big problem. And also, you, if you create issues in that property space where there isn't liquidity to sell, unless you sell at depressed levels, um, it introduces all sorts of other issues. So a social unrest is is a risk. A banking crisis is a risk. A debt crisis is a risk. If you've got all of those, even a currency crisis could potentially be a risk. So you can see why investors are quite nervous around what's happening in China at, at the moment. And especially given the rather understated levels of stimulus that's been provided to the government to avoid these risks, I think um, market participants are a bit perplexed that there hasn't been more decisive action taken to reduce interest rates or provide stimulus. So I think the market is still very much waiting. And unfortunately, what we do see as well is that um, some market participants are sort of pinning their hopes on a big turnaround through stimulus. And if that doesn't happen, I mean, that that could end uh, quite badly. And like I say, for, for South Africa, China is quite important because we're largely a commodity-based economy. Um, and even our stock market is also quite dependent on the success of commodity companies. Um, and if China picks up problems, um, then obviously that impacts at, at the very minimum the demand side of things and obviously um, the top line growth for these property companies. But there is still some questions around, you know, is there sufficient supply of these commodities which might counterbalance if there's less demand as well? But what we ultimately need is more clarity in terms of what policymakers are thinking. I was having the same discussion this morning with one of the analysts. It's just one of those cases where, you know, in the US, you pick up Powell's statement and you you can read through it and um, it's dissected everywhere in, in the market for potential clues as to where they're going. There is no such thing in the Chinese environment. So so it's very, very difficult to, to try and see where the direction is going, what the tone is like, etc. But at this stage, it doesn't look too promising. They don't seem too concerned, and yet the risks are quite material. Yes, the risks are quite material, and like you said, um, the success of China does have you know quite a direct impact on uh, the South African economy. I think famously or infamously on the JSC, we often get the direct uh, sort of day to day 
repercussions of what's going on in China through the NASPERS and process share prices, but uh, because of the exposure to China. But I can definitely see what you're saying that, uh, you know, on a more long-term basis, uh, the the more commodity-type businesses in South Africa, your mining houses, etc., that um, are feeding either directly into China or into supply chains um, uh, that are feeding into China, you know, would have a lot of um, negative impacts um, seen or dealt to them, you know, if things were to go down on that side. Um, but Adrian, I wanted to, you know, I always uh, at some point try and indulge, uh, you know, ask you to indulge me. It's just a follow up about the debt issue because we've mentioned the fact that debt is um, is an issue, and you've also characterized now um, how debt could be a big impact into the future. It's just a question around how do you see on a macro level at least um how do you see debt having been treated from a perception point of view because we've had conversations about um debt levels in the US and how there seems to be a lot of leeway that's given to the US when it comes to their levels of debt and you know how that feeds into monetary policy but from a China point of view how do you see I guess the perception piece and um, the leeway that the rest of the world gives to China as the second biggest um, economy uh, when it comes to their handling of debt I, I guess it's just a compare and contrast to to the way that uh, we perceive debt in the U.S. versus the way that we perceive debt in China? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I think largely what we've seen globally is quite a lot of complacency around the potential risks with with over-leveraging, so taking on too much debt. So I I think actually from, from what I can observe anecdotally, it feels like, South African investors are mostly concerned about South African debt levels. A lot of questions coming through around um, the fiscus and the health and and our debt levels, et cetera, which actually on a relative basis still seem okay, as as we've discussed before. Um, It's actually some of the other areas that concern us a a whole lot more. Um, Because remember, just going back to the fundamentals of debt, debt can't exist without a future payoff. so, so you're essentially borrowing from the future. You're essentially making a bet that the growth in the future will be sufficient to offset the debt burden that I take on today. And if that growth doesn't, doesn't come through, you run into a, a big problem. So, so th- that's why in China's case in particular, I think it's really, really important because they are over-leveraged, both on a, on a government level, especially the, the local governments, and the corporates, and in particular within the corporates, the property developers, are, they by nature are leveraged businesses, but they are extremely leveraged at the moment. And if you then pair that with questions around future economic growth, it can turn into an ugly situation quite quickly. So, so I think most of the policymakers and businesses have been maybe enticed into a low interest rate environment through the previous decades where rates were just very low for very, very long. And in that environment, you can understand why lending patterns might change, even for consumers, but also for corporates, where you take on a lot of leverage because the capital is cheap and you still get growth. But that's the irony of the whole situation is typically when money is quite cheap, growth is quite good. And when money is expensive, growth is normally not that great. 
So you go from these extremely good phases to extremely bad ones periodically as economic cycles go. And that's unfortunately, it feels like the environment that we're in. Interest rates are very, very high, so funding is expensive. And growth is coming into question for that very same reason. So so to answer the question more directly, my feeling is that um, not only China, but many governments and many corporates around the globe have just become complacent through the previous era of cheap money. Very interesting indeed, Adrian. And I think all that helps us to, you know, land this discussion to ask the question after having characterized all of these different issues that are um, potentially facing and currently facing uh, the Chinese economy to say, can the Chinese uh, actually counter um, some of these issues? And if so, how do they actually go about things that seem to be fundamental and how the economy is run. I mean, debt in the construction centers, not a sector rather, is not something that's going to just uh, go away over time. And as you said, you're taking a huge bet um, on, um, on, I guess, the future, future returns, future growth and all that. How do you see them countering if possible? Yeah, I think I think maybe as a as an immediate step, they need to restore confidence. I think that's that's really important because obviously what you start to see now is that the problem is becoming bigger than what it needs to be. So, for example, uh, foreign investors are getting nervous; they're pulling fund funding out. Um, even your your local citizen are concerned. So, um, if 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 property developers default on debt then the purchases of, of of the properties that haven't been delivered yet because the construction has been suspended technically have the right to demand that money back. So you can very easily see it similar to a run on a bank where people get overly nervous and start to extract capital and then they put the squeeze on the funding side of things, which creates the, the crisis. Um, so I think it's really important to restore confidence in, in, in that sector. And then from there, to prevent going... Uh, or happening again, I think regulation is going to be really important. They're going to have to manage that much, much better than what they have. Um, they're going to have to get their planning right so that, that they don't over leverage and that they don't over provide in terms of, of developments. And then ultimately, I think it's the same problem that everybody around the globe is grappling with to get out of their debt problem is we're all hoping for better growth going forward. And China is no different. I think what's unique in the China story is that they probably have a better chance of doing that just because they can go back to an old strategy of focusing more on, on exports if they, if they have to. And they wanted to focus on the consumer, but it's difficult to see how the consumers are going to do really well if they don't have confidence um, in that space and consumers are, are pulling back money and not putting it into the economy. And that's exactly what we're seeing at the moment. And at the same time, productivity levels have gone down. So uh, that that looks like an ugly picture. So I, I would I would think that their focus would be on on going back to exports, emphasizing the um, the importance of of exports. And unfortunately for them, I, I think that means that they're going to have to take a much softer tone in terms of trade partnerships, um, in particular with the US, if they are to be successful in terms of um, exporting to countries where and con- consumers are in better shape than, than local consumers. So that's the message coming through. Uh, do you say that there's a lot of confidence that does need to be restored, um, you know, from a Chinese economy point of view? Uh, really fascinating discussion, just uh, talking about uh, 
um, China as a driving force in the global economy. But, you know, despite that, uh, despite being that driving force that there are some structural issues that, um, are potentially, um, going to have them on the back foot, um, into the future. Debt demographics, those are some of the items that were being highlighted by Adrian, you know, simply to say that currently, uh, there is an over indebtedness, uh, that's coming through, um, uh, from that particular economy. And, uh, there's a huge risk of default, which then has downstream impacts for the Chinese economy, but, uh, the rest of the world, because, uh, China's uh, growth has not been in isolation. Uh, there are many different countries, many different companies and countries that have benefited, uh, by supplying or being part of, um, the machine, you know, supplying into China or at least being part of some of these supply chains. And also just characterizing, you know, this issue of debt. And it's quite clear that uh, debt in the property sector is an, is one uh, of those things that uh, we'll definitely uh, need to watch from there. Uh, but at least for now, it seems that... Uh, if we're looking at it in the immediate term, uh, that China is a force to be reckoned with. But I think the clear message that's coming through uh, from Adrian is simply to say because uh, China is as big as they are, whatever issues that they have uh, is something that we can't put our heads in the sand over. It's something that's definitely going to impact everyone else in the world. You know, particularly a country like South Africa, he helped us to understand um, South Africa's relationship with China, you know, even from just a commodities point of view and how a slowdown in that part of uh, in that part of the world would have a big impact on this part of the world so very interesting space to watch and hopefully uh, some of that uh, confidence can be restored over time so that's been it we were in conversation with the adrian pask who is the chief investment officer at psg wealth adrian thank you so much for being with us thanks for doing thanks to the listeners as well so that brings us to the end of uh, this discussion on China and where to from here, uh, sponsored by PSG Wealth. I've been your host, Muriwa Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. Remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts.